This podcast contains graphic content and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. made it our first spooky month yes we did and we didn't upload on halloween day and that week because there was so much going on with kayla and the boys and i am like a hemorrhoid and i'm always up her ass so i was with her (laughs) so that's where we were just doing all the halloween things with the with the kids Mm -hmm. and we were getting over covid and then it hit everyone else. It was just, it was just, uh, it was, it was a crazy week. Yeah. There's a lot happening. So, you know, but we're back. It's November. Back to our regular scheduled episodes. Mm-hmm. Katie's got a case this week and then next week will be mine. Mm-hmm. So let's just jump right into let's it. Let's jump in. And. Let's not waste any time. No. Because you seem pretty hot to tell me this case. So. This case has always bugged the hell out of me. Okay. This 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 is my Delphi. Really? This is my that, Delphi. Those are big words because Delphi for me is like this is I got I your have, Google alert set to this? Uh yeah. I have listened <laughs> to cuz there was just like an update and it's yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Phoebe Hanschuk. I've never heard that name. I don't think she's Australian. Okay. So some of these names are Australian, so I may not Hit him. I feel like you say this like every I'm, week. Like I'm a poster. <laughs> well, it's a lot easier than some of the ones I've done, like Germany and stuff like that. They, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Because at least they speak English. <laughs> That's fair. I just I just don't have the accent. Right. I can't do an Australian accent. On October 2nd, 2010, Phoebe lay at the bottom of a garbage room in her apartment alone and bleeding out after somehow going down a garbage chute. Phoebe tried to crawl around and find her way out of the room, but before she could, she would succumb to her injuries and bleed to death all alone in the complete darkness in that room. We are all still awaiting justice for Phoebe and answers as to what exactly happened to her before she went down that garbage chute. Phoebe was born on May 9th, 1986, only 24 at the time of her strange death. Her parents were Natalie and Lynn. Natalie called her daughter her tiger cub because Phoebe was born in the Chinese year of the tiger. Phoebe was the oldest of three children. She had two younger brothers, Tom and Nikolai. Her parents got a divorce when she was in her early teens, and this took a pretty hard toll on her emotionally. Phoebe started drinking pretty heavily for someone her age, and at times using party drugs to cope. Her grandmother, Jeanette Campbell, described Phoebe as, quote, hormonal, romantic, intuitive, and very sensitive. Me too. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah no, that's... <laughs> That's that's it right there. At 15, Phoebe ran away and lived with an ex-convict 
and his girlfriend and baby for about two months before she came home and at that point was taken to talk to a therapist for the first time in her life. Side note, her dad was a psychiatrist, I think. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She started on antidepressants in the hopes that this would help her, but she was still pretty troubled. Phoebe started dating a man that was much older than she was and who was also a local teacher in the Richmond area where she grew up. Ew. Yeah. He was like 20 years older than her or something. Oh my God. Absolutely not. Yeah. At 23 years old, Phoebe had begun working as a receptionist at a hair salon owned by a man named Lindley Goffrey in South Yara. It was shortly after she started this job that she met 39-year-old Anthony Hamble. Anthony was an events promoter and son of Supreme Court Judge George Hample, and his stepmother, his father's wife, was the county court judge, Felicity Hample. Keep that in mind. It's, it's, I'm keeping it. Oh, yeah. Everyone around Phoebe thought that this would be just a short-lived flame, but after dating for five months, Phoebe moved into Anthony's apartment located on St. Kilda Road in October of 2009. Everyone around Phoebe thought that they were an odd couple, like they would not have put them together. She was very simple, small-town girl, and Anthony was this big promoter who came from like this untouchable family because of his dad, and everyone just thought it was kind of a weird pairing. Phoebe was also reported as always kind of living a little cluttered, not like dirty, but like she just liked stuff. Like she was very artsy and creative and Anthony, on the other hand, wanted their apartment to look like no one lived there. And also, like, he was so much older than her. It was like mm-hmm. she was young and fun and, you know, still right. wanted to to do all these things. And he was just almost 40 and mm-hmm. had been established. And right. Phoebe's boss, Lindley Goffrey, said Phoebe left the salon early one day in a raging panic because she had to go home and clean an ink stain that was on the carpet before Anthony got home. Let me just say, ladies and gents, if you feel so afraid of how your partner would react over an ink stain on carpet that you have to leave work early and have a panic attack at work about it, run. No one should get mad at you like that over an ink stain. Over the 14 months that she lived there, Phoebe had started drinking really heavily again and told her psychiatrist, Joanna Young, as much. Natalie, Phoebe's mother, said that Phoebe had started drinking heavily again to deal with her social anxiety around Anthony and his much older friends. She also had spoken to her psychiatrist about how verbally abusive Anthony was to her. She expressed that Anthony made her feel stupid and constantly put her down. The two had split up four times in the six weeks leading up to her death. This is when, in those six weeks, she like started taking classes. She had attended AA meetings, and there was one source that I saw that she had attended an AA meeting and she got a ride back with a woman. And during the time of the meeting, which they probably last like an hour or longer, and then the ride home that he just repeatedly called her phone. Yeah, that's not normal. Yeah. And the woman that gave her a ride home, I can't remember her name, but she had told someone about this, but she couldn't actually give a formal statement to her, to Phoebe's death investigators, because she passed away before she could do that. So her official statement was never put in to the investigation. But even though they broke up those four times in 
the six weeks before she passed away, Phoebe always ended up back with Antony. Something about him just always had her coming back. Godfrey, Lindley Godfrey, her boss, who was friends with Antony, by the way, said of Antony, quote, he was a controlling person and he was a friend of mine. I felt sorry for him because I feel he was in love with her and he was losing her. On December 2nd, 2010, Phoebe had made plans to have dinner with her father and Antony. The last time that Phoebe was seen was on CCTV footage after a fire alarm went off in the apartment complex. Phoebe can be seen in a tank top, sweats, and sunglasses with her dog leashed by her side. Other tenants from the apartments were standing around near Phoebe and everything seemed pretty normal. Once the alarm was over and everything was cleared, Phoebe is seen walking out of the apartment complex with her dog at 11.44 a.m. She returned from a short walk with the dog at 11.50 a.m. and made her way back up to her 12th floor apartment. Everything that happens after this point is still a mystery. Anthony said he arrived home shortly after 6 p.m. and that he had left that morning at 9 a.m. His arrival time was confirmed by the use of his key fob, which only gave him access to his floor. It was used to let him in the apartment complex parking lot at 6.05 p.m. Antony took an elevator from the parking lot to his apartment and went to his apartment door. Antony reported to the police that he could not remember if at the time that he arrived at the door, if it was locked or unlocked. When he entered the apartment, he noticed broken glass and a small amount of blood spatter across their computer, keyboard, and the mouse. He could not find Phoebe, but her wallet, keys, and her purse were on the kitchen counter. There were two wine glasses that were set out on the kitchen table, neither of which were broken. Initially, Anthony believed that she had left the house in a drunken state. He reported that these episodes were pretty common with Phoebe. He spoke about two days not long before her death that she had argued with him about something and she left for two days and just partied both of those days. During these episodes, Phoebe would go hang out with who Antony called, quote, low lives. Though it did strike Antony as weird that she would not have her ID with her if she were going to go out drinking and not have a key to get back into the apartment. Because she could get out, she just couldn't come back in without that key fob. Right. Antony walked to the kitchen, and there he found several post-it notes that were stuck to the kitchen counter that had random and messy scribbles on them, but he knew that it was her handwriting. He walked into their bedroom and found some more strange things. There, on the bed, he found what he described as a shrine a photo of the two of them, one of her cat, and more small rambling notes. There were lit candles in the bedroom, and Phoebe's hair straightener was lying on the floor in the bathroom, still plugged in and on. So a shrine? That's what he called it. And it was a picture of them and her cat. And then post-it notes and lit candles. And what did the post-it notes say? It never says. Nowhere says what they said. What makes it a shrine, though? You know, that's what I'm thinking. Like, the lit candles? Is that I, what I guess. Interesting. But okay. also, the hair straightener being on and plugged in. They had plans to go to dinner with her father. Obviously, she was getting ready to come get ready. Maybe she just thought that maybe they'd had a rough couple days or something, and she would make, like, a cute little thing in the bedroom, and she would be in there getting ready when he arrived home from work. And Yeah, I mean, that's... That makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that I would have called it a shrine. Yeah, that's it's an unusual term and very specific. But you, then he do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But then he describes all of her friends as lowlifes. So, I mean, I don't think he's a very descriptive man. Right. Like, he 
his verbiage is not the best, mm-hmm. probably. But, like, I just, I don't know. This is very odd. Yeah. Yeah. At 6.51 p.m., Lynn, Phoebe's father, called Phoebe's cell phone. Phoebe had two cell phones, by the way. Phoebe had, I think it was a BlackBerry that was hers. And then she had an iPhone that was kind of a shared phone between her and Anthony. He had bought the iPhone for her. And the iPhone was taken to a cell phone repair store because it was broken and it was dropped off at around like 11 something that morning to be fixed. So her father had called her BlackBerry and Anthony also had like his own personal phone. That's weird. I mean, you know, it is what it is, but like I just... It is weird to have like they both have a personal phone, but then they have like this iPhone. That they both use? Yeah. Yeah. Just seems redundant. Yeah. You know, who knows? I don't know. Like a waste of money. I don't know. I feel like I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. Two different stories come up at this point. Lynn says that Anthony answered the phone call, but Anthony said he never heard her phone ring, but after one minute would call Lynn on his own phone. According to phone records, that call came through to her phone at 6.51 and Anthony called Lynn off of his cell phone at 6.52 because he thought that maybe Phoebe had left early to meet with her dad. So he said that's why he called her father Lynn. Lynn said that when Anthony answered Phoebe's phone, that he spoke to Lynn for around three and a half minutes. Turns out the three and a half minute phone call was the one that was made from Anthony's phone. I can excuse this for her dad because this same day he's going to find out that his daughter died in a really odd way. Yeah. So that's not that weird to me. Like he's about to go through something horrible mm-hmm. so i get it the de- the details it, the, on on the phone call like who calls who or what is what a little phone he yeah. spoke to anthony on it's yeah. like it's kind of irrelevant mm-hmm. so that's where the two little stories like two little discrepancies come from but like i said i don't really view right. that as anything weird yeah. i mean on either side really i mean yeah it's it's kind of like did i call him did he call me like you're in yeah. distress those are little details Lynn, yeah Lynn is saying this anthony says well it was yeah. for my phone, and there's proof with the phone records. It was about three and a half minutes. Like, Lynn's world is about to get crushed, so I, I'm going to give him this. Yeah, like, right, of course. But during their phone call, Anthony told Lynn that she was not in the apartment. He couldn't find her, but her personal belongings were there, so she couldn't be far away. This worried Lynn and all of Phoebe's close family members. Because in addition to this new and weird information, Lynn and other family members had gotten a text message from Phoebe that was just off. They received this message the day before, so on December 1st. The message read, quote, Hi, family. I'm in bed and about to sleep. And when I wake, I will transform into the most incredible human being you've ever seen. Dot, dot, dot. Not. I will go to hospital. It's safer there. And I hear the special tonight is tomato soup. Delicious. Nutritious. I love you all very much, but not enough to send an individual text. Sorry about that, but time is sleep and I must be on my way. Dot, 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 dot. Merrily, merrily, merrily. Life is but a dream. XO. I really don't know what to say to that. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to come up with something and I'm drawing a blank. Truly. Yeah. Um. Weird. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like someone who's either having a mental break or is intoxicated or or both mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't i don't know that's just not yeah she's always had mental health disorders right at times pretty extreme 
She's always had an addiction disorder, clearly. Yeah, she's and so she, she so goes she through has, these yeah. episodes and then goes on a bender due to the episodes that she goes through, and that's just I don't know. I just don't know what I, just, I know. Uh, I know. A hospital. Like, I had to read she, it like three times when I first saw it. I was like, "Wait a minute, what is she talking about getting like help?" Like, Did she just say she knew tonight's special at the hospital? Like the tomato soup? Like I don't know. It's just it's it's odd. It's it it's very um, random and. I feel like it was kind of a cry for help. Well, for sure. For sure. That's what that was. Like, I feel like she wanted someone to react in like a, hey, I'm going to come get you because I just don't feel like you're okay by yourself kind of way. Right. No, I I definitely think she, she, that was a cry for help. Yeah, she needed help. Something, mm -hmm. not something isn't right. This isn't right. Right. Yeah, for sure. This message was sent to her father, mother, her two brothers, her mother's boyfriend at the time her grandmother, and her boss. When Natalie, her mother, received this message, she called Phoebe's grandmother, Jeanette Campbell. Natalie was boarding a flight to come home, so she asked Jeanette if she would just check on Phoebe, call her or something. Jeanette instead called Anthony at 10.35 a.m. and asked if Phoebe was okay. He told Jeanette that when he left, Phoebe was sleeping peacefully and that he had not seen the message from her yet. He told Jeanette that he would swing by the apartment and check on her because his office was not far from the apartment. Natalie arrived home later that evening and sent Phoebe a text asking that when she woke up to call her. When Lynn spoke with Antony and learned about her being missing from the apartment, Lynn told Antony that he should file a missing persons report with the police, like right now. Antony turned down his suggestion because he said the police would not care that she was missing unless it had been 48 hours or more and that she would be back by then. So, I know that that may sound suspicious, Mm -hmm. but in my head, it's not, and I'll tell you why, because that is a common misconception that people think that you have to be missing for 48 hours, and I, I don't know how it works in Australia, but here in America, for those who are listening, you do not have to wait 48 hours. I don't know. I think at one point that was a thing, especially for adults. They will still tell you to wait 48 <laughs> hours, will, but, but you don't have to. You don't you have to. You can make them file one right, right then. Right then. Yeah. So that is, and I hear it all the time. People, okay. you know, thinking they have to wait 48 hours and you do not. So maybe he actually thought that. Right. You know. And also in his defense on this part, this was something that she did. Right. You know. Yeah. This was something that was a common enough happening for him that he felt like she would just be back. The only thing that really just sets me, just doesn't sit with me right, is the fact that there was blood on the keyboard, like on the computer and stuff. Like mm-hmm. that is, that that would be my first like, why is there blood on this, you know? Mind you, the broken glass that was like on the floor, there was no blood on the glass so i mean yeah so i'm just like yeah but even if it's from broken glass it's it's like like, she's bleeding somewhere you know she cut her finger on the glass Mm -hmm. you would imagine that there may be some blood on there but there wasn't gotcha okay so yeah that's the only thing i'm really like uh, Mm -hmm. you know yeah lynn made a couple of phone calls after that to one of his sons to ask if he knew of someone that might know where phoebe was and then he called Natalie. Natalie then called some of Phoebe's friends 
as well, just to see if they knew what was going on or where she was. One friend named Brendan Hessian told Natalie that he had last seen Phoebe on Monday night when the two of them had gone out for drinks. Brendan told Natalie that Phoebe had been on a bender. Anthony, still at the apartment, called the Golden Triangle. This is a restaurant, and this is also the restaurant that Anthony, Phoebe, and Lynn were going to go to dinner with each other at. This is also Phoebe's favorite restaurant. And at this point, Anthony ordered takeout for himself from the Golden Triangle for delivery. Just for one, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. At around 8 p.m., Anthony buzzed up the food delivery man to his apartment. When Anthony answered the door, the delivery man asked, quote, man, what's going on here? Anthony asked what he was talking about, and the man said, quote, the front door of the building is swarming with cops. There's police cars, ambulance. I had to prop my bike up the street. Hope your dinner isn't cold. The delivery man left, and Anthony went downstairs to find out what was happening. Anthony found a police officer and asked what was going on. The officer that he found was actually the officer in charge for the night. It was Officer Healy. Healy told Anthony that a woman's body had been found in the trash compactor room. At this point, Anthony gasped and said that his girlfriend was missing and that he thought that it was her. The officer told him that he would need some more information, and he just started rambling on to Officer Healy about how his girlfriend had severe depression issues, she had a drinking problem, she had drug problems, that he had tried to call her every two hours that day on the home phone in their apartment because her cell phone was broken, He said that he had made calls to her relatives and friends to try to locate her, but no one knew where she was. And he also made sure to mention that he was at work all day long. And the officer was kind of like, well, that's not what I meant when I said I needed more information. Like knowing that she has a history of depression ain't going to do nothing for me in terms of identifying this body. So, <laughs> yeah, like what color hair does she have? Yeah, like What's the officer was kind of like, how old is she? Why is this what you busted into? Like, yeah. <laughs> so he asked if Phoebe had any significant marks on her body, which is where we should have started in the first place, mm-hmm. Anthony. And he told Officer Healy that she did, in fact, have a tattoo on her right wrist that matched his. And she also had an upper lip piercing. She had a Monroe, a Monroe piercing. Okay. The officer then asked Anthony to go retrieve a recent photo of Phoebe. Officer Healy followed Anthony upstairs to their apartment where he asked to see another photo of Phoebe. The officer asked if Phoebe had a tattoo on her stomach, to which Anthony replied, yes. Healy compared the photographs that he had to the woman that he had seen that was found in the trash compactor room, and at this point formed the opinion that the woman in the room was in fact Phoebe. The officer went downstairs to retrieve more detectives to come up to the apartment with him on the 12th floor, and he informed Anthony that they would now have to search the apartment, to which Anthony gave them permission. He was cool with it. This is when officers found the broken glass and the blood on the floor and the computer. They also saw the post-it notes that were supposedly put on the counter by Phoebe. Anthony told officers that he was too upset to view the body to give a positive ID. Detectives began looking around the outside of the apartment. They made their way into the refuse room, which is where the garbage chute was located. There, the police found a small spot of blood on the door handle to the chute. While alone in the apartment, Anthony called his mother, Suzanne Owen. He did not call his father because his father was out of town at the time with his stepmother. After he spoke with his mother, Anthony called Phoebe's father, Lynn, to tell him that his daughter was dead. He told Lynn that he should call Phoebe's brothers to come to the apartment. 
Lynn would later say, quote, I was in shock at this and just sat there on the floor. He called his son Tom and told him to meet him at the apartment, but did not tell him why because he said he did not want to do it over the phone. Lynn tried to call Phoebe's mother, Natalie, but she did not answer the two phone calls that Lynn made. When she finally called him back, she asked what had happened and had he found Phoebe. Lynn replied, quote, I hope you're sitting down. She's dead. They found her near the rubbish bins at the apartment. Natalie screamed loudly into the phone and said that it just wasn't true and hung up the phone. When Natalie's boyfriend, Russell, came to Natalie's house, he had to physically pick her up off of the ground outside and carry her inside. And her mother has done a lot of interviews. She did like a 60 Minutes Australia. Um, they had, it was it's like a crime investigator something in Australia also. It's the same woman who interviewed her in the 60 Minutes episode. She spoke to her and told her that, Natalie told her that, she just could not make it real in her head until she saw her body. It yeah. was, she had to see her daughter's dead body to even be able to begin. To fathom. to Yeah. To even process that her child was dead. Yeah, I get that. The concierge that night, Beth, was the person who found Phoebe. She had been asked to go downstairs to check on something that the manager, Eric, who had just left the apartment building did not have time to check on. When Beth entered the room, she saw trails of blood everywhere, and when her eyes followed the trail, there at the end was a woman's body. When police were called after Beth discovered the body, the police were given a key to the garbage room upon their arrival, and Beth told officers that she just could not go back in the room. There's also CCTV footage of this concierge, Beth, walking back and forth up and down the hallway. She called Eric first, the manager. He told her to call... Zero zero zero, which is their nine one one, and you can see her in the video. She is like she's crying, she's rubbing her face, she's like rubbing her hands, like she's having a full panic attack. Oh yeah. So I don't blame her for not being able to go back in. Like she handed them the key and was like, "Go by yourself. Yeah. I can't do it." The manager Eric came back to the apartment building, and Eric thought that it would be helpful to help police get their hands on the CCTV footage for the building. He told police that they would need to act pretty fast because they had been having issues with the footage taping over itself. Eric later recalled that after he told police this, they seemed very disinterested in his suggestion. While police never took any of the footage into their possession, for evidence, they did watch some of the footage in the room. But they never downloaded it, and it got taped over. That pisses me off. Mm -hmm. Do they ever say what they... No. Saul? No. Okay, great. I read the 87-page coroner's report, which has, like, detailed down to, like, minutes of what happened Mm -hmm. before and then the investigation after and, obviously, the autopsy. And they never... All right. Yeah. Great. We knew about the concierge in the hallway having a panic attack. Yeah. But they don't say anything about Phoebe. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And they pretty much looked at the manager and was like, ah, we don't need it. Yeah. An ambulance had been called to the scene at 7.20 p.m. and arrived at 7.27 p.m. Christy Cook, one of the paramedics on scene, quickly made her way to the door leading into the trash compactor room. Christy reported that there was a police officer standing in front of the entrance to the door, and he stopped her when she tried to go in. The officer told Christy that this was a crime scene and that she was not allowed any further. 
Christy knew that this was wrong. Everything that she had ever learned in her training, she knew this is not how it's supposed to to work. A life-saving crew, a trained professional is there and they won't let her in. She looked past the officer just to try to see if she could see the body in the room, see if she could kind of size up what was going on. And she did see Phoebe lying on her back with cuts on her right thigh and hip and her right foot in a very unnatural position, making Christy believe that the woman's ankle was broken. She also noted that she had a bluish tint to her body. No one went inside the room until hours later when crime scene techs showed up. No life-saving aid was ever given to Phoebe, nor was she ever checked or even touched to see if something could have been done to help her. Christy later spoke about how much this affected her not being able to go into the room and try to save Phoebe and that it actually, and that she actually lost sleep thinking about it. This is particularly frustrating because after the autopsy is done and them viewing the, the scene, like you heard me say, there were trails of blood. Phoebe was alive for around five to 10 minutes when she fell and hit the floor. She drug herself around that room, trying to find a way out in the pitch black dark, and there are bloody handprints on the back of the door where she tried to reach the door handle, and they would not let this paramedic into the room to see if they could get a pulse back, if it was even possible to start trying, wouldn't let her in. Nobody touched her until hours later. That is very frustrating. So this woman, Christy, probably thinks there was a chance. There was a chance because she was alive for five to ten minutes. Right. And they wouldn't let her in. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that someone checked her pulse at some point. Nobody checked. Like a police officer or something. Nobody went in till crime scene techs got there. That's, That's wild to me. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I get it. Was she dead? Yes. Was she, as Christy said, looked like she had a bluish tint to her? Yes, but paramedics still should have been let in. Mm -hmm. Once the scene was um, stabilized and they knew that there wasn't a threat to anyone, absolutely, life-saving crew should have been left in. Mm -hmm. I mean, let in, um, even if it was to no avail, you know. As someone whose father was a paramedic for over 20 years, there were times where my dad would show up on a scene and the person would be dead when he got there and alive by the time they got to the hospital. Right. Yeah. So poor Christy was like, what if there was a chance? Yeah. And it is just weird that no one even touched her until right, yeah. Tex got there. At this point, investigators decided that Phoebe's death was a suicide. From the information they received from Antony and after their small investigation of the crime scene and her apartment, This is what they settled on. Phoebe's cell phone was never taken into evidence. Her computer was never taken into evidence. No fingerprints were ever pulled from anywhere. Not the wine glasses, not the garbage chute door. The garbage chute door and the handle to the garbage chute had been cleaned. So this is why investigators said that they just couldn't pull fingerprints because they couldn't see any on there because it had obviously been cleaned. Even though there was that spot of blood on the garbage chute door. The speck of blood that was on the garbage chute door and the blood that was found on the computer in the apartment was tested, and it was Phoebe's. 
After checking the computer while they were in the apartment, it was found that Phoebe's personal emails had been deleted from the computer, but it could not be known if she did it herself or if Antony deleted them because when Antony arrived home, he told police that her personal email was logged in and still open on the computer. An autopsy was performed on Phoebe after her body was removed from the apartment complex. It was found that she was more than three times over the legal limit with alcohol. Her alcohol level was 0.16, and she had taken two sulpidin pills, which here we call Ambien, but I don't think this is the same as Ambien. They call it um, Stalox, I think is what they were calling it. Something like that. Which are, But they're sleeping pills. They're sedatives. She had noticeable bruising on her arms and her neck that were not believed to have come from her fall, but could not be said for certain. She also had what was described as grazes on her lower back. Her right ankle was severed during the fall and barely hanging on to the rest of her body. The only thing keeping it attached was some shredded strings of her muscle. The in- Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, oh poor thing. So, when Christy was like, I think her ankle's broken. I mean, that's an understatement. Yeah, it was almost completely severed. Which would explain why she could not stand up to try to find the doorknob. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. The injury was concluded to have happened from both sharp and blunt edges of several parts of the garbage chute that she hit on the way down. Phoebe had little to no damage to her internal organs, which was strange due to the amount of feet that she fell. She fell like, it was 12 stories, and I think it was like 30 meters or something. Ooh. Yeah. It was concluded in the autopsy that Phoebe would have fallen feet first. Phoebe was found with her pants down around her thighs, and the coroner said that nothing during her fall would have made her pants slip down like that. So they were that way when Phoebe entered the garbage chute. Down around her ankles? Like around her thighs. Around her thighs. Yeah. Okay. Like a little above her knee. Yeah. Which is, when I tell you about like the chute, it doesn't, the math just don't math. Okay. Because trying to lift up your legs when your pants are almost around your knees is pretty hard. Right. And having to lift her legs as high as she would have had to to get into the garbage chute, it just Mm -hmm. doesn't work. Her cause of death was listed as blood loss from her severed ankle. Someone of her weight and size should have had about seven liters of blood in her body. And with the ankle injury and with no attempt to stop the bleeding, it was said that she would have bled out in a matter of minutes. The coroner concluded that Phoebe, intoxicated and not in her right state of mind, went to throw away broken glass after she had dropped it in her apartment and after cleaning it up, was going to throw it down the garbage chute. And for some reason, after throwing it down the garbage chute, decided to climb inside the chute herself, thus accidentally killing herself. But, the coroner said, could have also been intentional due to her depression issues. (coughs) Of all the ways that she could have committed suicide. I just like thinking about it. It's like I wouldn't even think that going down a chute like that would... But I don't, I've never really used a laundry chute, so I don't know what they look like or real, I mean, what they look like inside or anything. Mm-hmm. But like, well, I mean, and she was intoxicated, right? So she wasn't in her right mind, obviously. But I just don't, I would see it more as an accidental death than a suicide if that's the route we're going. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't know. Yeah. So the garbage chute itself was really narrow. 
it measured 14 and a half by 8.6 inches. And it was, I think it was 36 inches off the ground from the floor to the top of the garbage chute. There's, I'm going to post a picture. There's like a blueprint of what the chute looks like and it has like measurements and stuff. Again, it's not in inches, but it's on there. Um, Cause we don't, you know, America, we're like the one and only with our little measuring system. America. Mm-hmm. They also said that when she fell, she would have had to fall with her arms by her side. And she was small, but the opening, it was 14 and a half inches wide. And when, like, you pulled the handle and it opened, that was where the 8.6 comes from. She was small, but I'm going to show you a video. Her grandfather, and I'll post it as well, her grandfather does his own investigation. He is a former police officer. He contacted the manufacturer of the garbage chute and had them completely remake exactly what the door would have been like and the space that she would have had to go down. And he got one of her friends who was the same height, around the same weight, same build as Phoebe was, to demonstrate in a video for the 60 Minutes episode how someone could get in the garbage chute. And so when I link the video, if you guys watch it and I'll show you, you're kind of like... She can't, her her friend that he has to do it, she cannot get in it with her arms by her side. She can't. She she has to go in with her arms up above her head like she's riding a roller coaster. Her friend <laughs> physically cannot get into the garbage chute with her arms by her side. So them saying that, it just doesn't, it just doesn't math. Yeah, that looks really difficult, especially when you're like plastered drunk to do that by yourself. She's She was like, drunk. It, they smelled the glass that they thought that she was drinking out of. And it smelled of vodka. So vodka, along with two Zolpidem pills, a sedative, and another sedative, alcohol. Yeah. Phoebe's grandfather, his name was Lorne Campbell. I assume this was Jeanette's husband. Like I said, he was a retired detective. He just felt that they had missed so much. They had not done their due diligence. And he believed and still believes to this day that she was murdered that this was foul play. This was not an accident. This was not a suicide. So he starts his own investigation. He finds that on top of the two wine glasses being set out, that there were also large shoe prints that were coming from the apartment that were completely missed and ignored. And then, like I said, he does the recreation with her friend, trying to get her to go into the shoot. She can't get in there without assistance. They both have to help her. He's there and also the interviewer in the 60 Minutes episode. And then he talks about the dimensions of the door. And also with the way that the door works, which you'll see in the video, when you try to climb into the door, it automatically will shut itself. Mm -hmm. So as this woman is trying to shimmy herself into the garbage chute, it is slamming on her as she's trying to get in. It is trying to close itself. So it would have been like a super heavy fight on top of that. And since then, in 2013, a full inquest was done into Phoebe's death. And her mother, Natalie, raised over $50,000 to cover the proceedings. 
And Anthony's attorney objected to the notion that Phoebe was murdered with coroner Peter White testifying that she sleepwalked into the shoot herself because sleepwalking is a side effect of Zolpidem. On December 10th, 2014, the inquest concluded in Anthony's favor. Phoebe's family still believes that it was murder and that it was foul play, and they are still investigating this. They just feel that the investigation was not thoroughly done. They didn't do what they needed to do. They feel very suspicious of Antony. Um, Antony moved on. He started dating a model in 2018, only for her to die with a gold cord wrapped around her neck mere hours after the two broke up. Katie, be so, be so fucking for real right now. She was found by her family. Mm -hmm. Her death was ruled as, do you want to guess what? Suicide. With a cord around her neck? By asphyxiation, yes. Like, like she hung herself or that? She just wrapped it around her neck, pulled it tight, and laid there and suffocated. I'm, yet again, speechless. Nothing on Anthony, though, because he moved out of the apartment and he's married now. But for Phoebe's family, they still live completely in the dark about this. And they're devastated and they're confused and they want answers and they're angry and they're sad. Yeah. And I mean, everyone else just seems to have forgotten. I mean, it was a shoddy investigation at best. I mean, it not taking the footage, not... You know, like no fingerprints. Take it, taking fingerprints. You like, ignored the shoe prints. Yeah, it's no. You know what this was reminding me of? Hmm. Kendrick Johnson. Yeah. You know, you know him going down into yeah. that rolled up mat. This is what it's kind of reminding me of. Yeah, it's another one that just like the physicality of how it just doesn't make sense. Investigators say it works, just doesn't add up. It the math ain't mathin and. Even if it, you know, even if it was accidental death, I don't think it was suicide. No. Even if it was accidental death, they still did not investigate this like they should have. No. You cannot tell me without a shadow of a doubt that that was accidental. Yeah. No. Not, that This doesn't convince me at all. And I'm sorry, like, and I'm not even really, I mean, is he suspicious? Yes. Yes. Could I say with 100% certainty that I believe that it's him? No. Yeah. Like, do I, do I think beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's Anthony? No. Suspicious? Yes. Yes. Um, he should have definitely been investigated more thoroughly. And even now, like, knowing that his other girlfriend died makes him even more suspicious. And it was also ruled a suicide. And yeah. then knowing who his father was on top of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, see, that's very suspicious. Now, that math do be mathin'. Yeah, that maths. But, like, what I'm saying is, you didn't you didn't investigate anybody else. Like, you, you didn't... Exactly. You, like, here's the thing. What I would have at least done is matched his shoes up with the footprints found. Or, you know... Because would that check out that he may have left shoe prints leaving his apartment? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, would that have been like, oh, concrete evidence, he did it? No. No. That would have made sense, but that could have helped rule someone else in. Yeah, and it's just like not checking the footage. It definitely seems and um, not downloading like it a cover up to have for evidence. Yeah. It's definitely gi- it's definitely giving like cover up. But for they me. watched it and then they won't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the way that she would have had to get in her pants around her ankles, 
she or around is, her thighs or her thighs sorry her pants are in her thighs sorry i was thinking about like her ankle injury right. yeah her her pants are on her thighs having to lift her leg up three feet there's nothing on the wall in the picture to hold on to because they have mm-hmm. it in a crime scene photo there's nothing to help pull her in they said she went down with her arms by her side it's pretty much impossible for physically her to impossible that. to have done that almost getting in there with no assistance from anyone else and then you rule it as a suicide but she desperately tried to get out of that room to get help yeah it just doesn't it just doesn't add up to me no and this is why it is my delphi it bothers me <laughs> oh yeah it definitely bothers me too a lot like <laughs> It's um, it's it's definitely a mysterious death case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so let us know what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Look yeah. at those pictures. Watch the video. Yeah, watch the video for sure. If mm-hmm. you don't do anything else after you listen to this, watch that video. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Well, that was a good. Yeah. Uh just hope that they find out one day. Yeah. For sure. I don't. Her family needs closure for I sure. Have. A sneaking suspicion that we won't ever have an answer to this. Yeah. An exact pinpointed At answer. At least not for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, my case next week is definitely a local case. Mm-hmm. And it's an ongoing case. Mm-hmm. It's one that has been in the news recently. Um, it's not even... It's more of the mayhem aspect to our podcast, Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, But you all have heard, especially locally around here, I've heard the name Sean Williams. And that's who I will be talking about next week. Um, But there's a little surprise, Mm -hmm. little tidbit to this this next episode um, that we will tell you more about. But... Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that case. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a recently escaped inmate mm-hmm. and still on the run. Yep. Um, so it's very October important. 20th. Yep. So it's very important to get his name and his face out there. Yeah. At the very least. Because mm-hmm. um, he is considered dangerous. Yeah. And he's just out and, you know, we don't know where, but he's out in, in the public. So. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely need to get his name and his face out there. And yeah, we will talk about that more next week. So we'll catch you guys next week. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing and our friend Avalyn Yulaberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is m3 podcast and you can find us on facebook under the name of our podcast which is murder mayhem and merlot